In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the 29th of the Coptic month, and on the 29th of the Coptic month, we commemorate the three major feasts of the Lord, which are the Nativity, the Resurrection, and the Annunciation. We actually celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation on the 29th of Baramhat, and so that's why on the 29th, and actually the other feasts are also originally on the 29th. So all three of the feasts were on the 29th. So we celebrate on the commemoration on the 29th of every month. And these readings that we read from today um, are from the Annunciation. Actually, all of the responses uh, that we say today are from the Annunciation. And the Gospel is also from the Annunciation. So we read in verse 31, uh, the famous verse that we also read during the month of Kiyak. Uh, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. This is Archangel Gabriel speaking to St. Mary, giving her the promise of the coming of the Messiah through her. And if we look at actually so many of the things that God has said all throughout history to his people, it's been in the form of promises and covenants. That God promises us many things for us to be hopeful and to look forward to them in the future, that something good is to happen. That even though maybe in the moment there is difficulty and there is trial, but one of the things that allows us to endure and to persevere in the midst of this trial is that we remember the promises of God. Okay? So it's important for us to reflect on these promises. So I'm going to speak a little bit about what are some of the characteristics of the promises of God that whenever we are maybe in a difficult situation, we can remember God's promises, we can remember His characteristics, and the characteristics of his promises and be hopeful that there are better days to come. And maybe now in our life in the world there is so much uh, anxiety because of so many things that are happening in the world. And it's important for us to reflect on God's promises, to realize that actually we are not subject to the world, we are not part of the world, we are not um, under the system of the world, and so for that reason, we should be rejoicing because we remember the promises of God and that he lifts us up out of the world to be something more and something higher and something better than simply what we find in the world. So what are some of the characteristics of his promises? The first one we know is that God definitely keeps his promises, right? Different than man, right? It's very easy for us as human beings to break promises. We make a lot of promises and we say a lot of things, and then in the end, we don't actually keep necessarily everything that we say. In Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Meaning, God is not like us. When God speaks, his word is sure, his word is certain. And we place our hope and our faith in his words because of what he said and because of who he is, that everything that he says is going to come to pass even when it doesn't make any sense, even when we don't see a way that this would happen. You know, there are many examples in the, in the scripture where God says things that don't make sense. Like in the story of Gideon, for example, he tells Gideon that he's going to defeat the enemy of Israel with only 300 men, right? And it doesn't make any sense. And even as we read the story, we, we wonder, how is God going to do this? Why is he telling Gideon to get rid of all the extra people that he has with him so that he only has 300 left? doesn't make any sense. But this is God's promise. And we see in the end God was able to do it. So we should place our trust in God because of who he is, not because we understand his actions, not because we understand what he is doing. Maybe we look in the world today and we don't see a, a way out of where we are. We don't see a solution. We don't see something 
that can come out of the situation that we're in that is good, right? But God knows. God knows. And God has a way out of any situation, and he offers us salvation, and he keeps his promise. The second characteristic of his promises is that his promises are better than what we can imagine. You know, always when, when human beings go to God and ask him for things, what we ask for is not even close to what God is capable of giving. Right? Like when the, when the paralyzed man, when, when he and his friends, they went to Christ in the house, they asked for something which was that the man be healed. Because in their mind, that was the most important thing. In their mind, that was the biggest problem, right? But what God offered him was something greater than the physical healing. It was the spiritual healing. He forgave him his sins. When we go to God, he gives us what we don't even realize that we need. He gives us something bigger than what we ask. And that's a very important principle when it comes to God, right? That, that he's always ready to give more. Sometimes we, we see that God is maybe stingy. And he, you know, we pray, we ask him for something over and over and over, and maybe I don't receive what it is that I ask for. Or maybe it takes much longer than I would like to receive what it is that I ask for. And we wonder, why isn't God good? Why isn't God giving me something good that I'm asking for? Well, the question we should ask ourselves is, maybe what I'm asking for is not as good as I think, right? In, in 1 Corinthians 13, St. Paul, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, meaning in heaven, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Meaning in heaven there will be the perfect fulfillment of all promises. In heaven there will be perfect understanding. There will be perfect vision that we will see, that we will understand, that everything will make sense to us. Whereas now here on the earth, we have a hard time to understand. We don't understand. Why does God delay? Why does he not give us what we ask for? Why? Maybe, maybe what we're asking for is not even the right thing, right? In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Like, like very powerful verse. There is a way that looks right, that in every way from the outside, it looks good to us, but its end is the way of death. So if we're asking God for something that's end is the way of death, God is not going to give it to us. Right? And maybe we complain and we're sad and we doubt. And we don't know why God is not giving it to us. But the answer is, it's because it is the way of death. Right? We don't see it. We don't see it, but God sees it. And so the promises, the things that he offers us are actually far greater than what is it that we ourselves know. Um, number three, God's promises are for our salvation. In Second Peter uh, chapter 1, it says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Right? What is it that God wants? He wants us to be partakers of the divine nature. He wants us to be united with him. He wants us to live eternally. Right? We focus so much on earthly things, when we, when we, even when we pray sometimes. And it's not to say that God doesn't want to give us good things even on the earth. But what is God's primary uh, goal? What is God's primary way of operating with us as human beings? Is he wants what's the best for us, right? He wants the greatest thing for us, which is eternal life, right? So he says, if, if, if you need to suffer a little bit on the earth to produce for you eternal life, to, to help you to attain eternal life, then I would rather that you suffer on earth so that you have eternal life rather than you have everything you ask for and everything you want on earth 
and not have eternal life, right? So his promises are for our salvation. This is what his aim is. This is what his focus is. Because once this life ends, then there will be no more problems. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more anxiety. There will be nothing of that anymore. So the true solution, right? The true solution to all the things that we're asking for is eternity, right? Eternity with God. Number four, God makes covenants with us so that we know what to hope for, okay? He makes covenants with us so we know what to hope for. In Isaiah chapter 54, it says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. When God went to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he made covenant with them, what is it that he said? He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, right? And this great nation is great not simply because it has a lot of people. It's a great nation because it is through this nation that the Messiah, who is the Savior of the world, will come for the salvation of all people. And so he always reminded Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all throughout their life, he always reminded them of the covenant, right? That at any time when we are struggling, when we are suffering, we remember the covenants of God. We remember the promises of God. We remember what it is that God did for us. What is it that God said about us? We remember who we are because sometimes we forget who, is, who we are. Right? When we wander through life, we forget. The more time that we spend in the world and the more time that we spend with people right, in the world, we begin to forget sometimes of what God made us to be. Right? That we are made in His image. That we are made to glorify Him. And we find ourselves just blending, blending in with the world, blending in with other people, looking like them, talking like them, acting like them, hoping on the things they hope for, whereas we actually have a far greater hope than any hope that is in the world. We have a far greater joy than any joy that can be attained in the world. And this is what God wants us to see, is all the good things, the covenant that He made for us, the things that we should hope for are not the things of the world, but the things that he promises are the greatest things. Number five, God uses unconventional methods to fulfill his promises. Unconventional methods. Not the, not the way that we might expect that God would fulfill his promises. God uses a different plan, a different way. Um, in, in Joshua chapter six, we read about how God told Joshua and the Israelites to uh, capture the city of Jericho, or, or essentially to defeat the city of Jericho, okay? What is it that he told them to do? It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, and you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And all they did was they went around the city. Every day they would go around the city, and on the last day they went around the city seven times. And after this, the walls of Jericho fell and, and the city was gone, right? This is certainly an unconventional method. And this is certainly a method that if God were to tell us to do something like this, we would think that it's kind of crazy, right? Let's try to make it more like practical for our situation. Let's say we have a problem with our boss, okay? And we're, we want to solve this problem with our boss because our boss is making us miserable at work. And God comes to us and he says, I want you to walk around your office building six times. And once you walk around your office building six times, then your problem with your boss is going to go away. It's going to disappear. Or your boss is going to be fired and someone else is going to come and replace him. 
What would be our reaction to that? It seems kind of strange. Like maybe we wouldn't even want to do it. It feels like kind of ridiculous, right? Or a Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the Syrian, he had leprosy. He came from Syria to Israel to see Elisha the prophet because he knew that Elisha the prophet was a mighty prophet and that he could potentially heal him. Elisha the prophet didn't even want to see him. All he did was he sent a message to him and he said, go wash in the Jordan River and you will be healed of your leprosy. And Naaman the Syrian was furious. And he said, I came all the way from Syria here so that I could see the prophet. So he could heal me and all you're telling me to do is to go bathe in the river. We have our own rivers. I could have bathed in a river. Why are you telling me to do this? And he almost wasn't even going to do it, right? Until one of his servants convinced him to do it, right? God uses unconventional methods. And this is why we have to have faith when we, we live with a God, that God does things in a strange way. This thing is in a way we wouldn't expect it to be done. This is the way he fulfills his promises. The sixth point is that some of God's promises are conditional, right? Like God will do something if we do something. An example of this is uh, in the Ten Commandments where God says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you, right? It is a conditional. He's saying, honor your father and mother, and if you do this, then your days will be long uh, upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So God wants us to participate in this process, right? It is not just that we sit not doing anything and God gives us promises, right? And God fulfills all of his promises. There are some things where he tells us, I want you to do something, right? And then I will do something, right? I want you to live a certain way. I want you to repent. I want you to struggle in your life. And I will respond in giving you something, right? So it's important for us to understand what is our role, right? What is our role in the promises of God? There is something that we need to be doing too, right? And, and, and we need to pursue him, right? We need, to, we need to, to like see him as being important, something that's a priority for our life, something that we seek after day after day. The seventh characteristic of God's promises is that God's promises can be in the form of warnings, Okay. In Galatians 6, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Again, it's a question for us, asking us, how is it that we, will, that we choose to live? How is it that we sow? Right? How is it that we sow? I go back to this idea of, the greatest work as Christians that we can do is the work of repentance, right? Because we all are going to fall short. We're all going to struggle in sin, and we're all going to struggle with many failures in our lives, okay? But God wants us to get up again. He wants us to try. And when we fail, he wants us to repent. This is why confession is such an important sacrament in the church, because God understands, and we all understand that we are imperfect and that we will fall, but God wants us to continue to get up again. What is it that we are sowing? We ask ourselves, what is it that I am sowing? He says, what we sow is what we will reap. If I, if I live a life that is far from God, if I live a life in darkness, then this is what I will reap. But if I live a life in love of God, trying to seek God, then I will reap what the, the Spirit, and I will reap everlasting life according to what God has said. Number eight, God's promises can be preceded by suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, 
as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Right? The fiery trials that we experience in the world are actually part of the process, right? Are part of the process. And this will result in rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, because when his glory is revealed, we also will be exceedingly joyful. We always talk about the Holy Week, right? And we say the Holy Week is a, a week where we are remembering and commemorating the sufferings of Christ. And then as we are commemorating the sufferings of Christ, but we are hopeful because we know that the day of resurrection is coming. What makes us able to endure the sufferings is because we know that there is the resurrection. We know the resurrection is coming. And when we participate in the fasting, when we participate in the prayer, when we participate in all of that and the difficulty of that week, then when the feast of the, of the resurrection comes, it is a very, very joyful time and we feel the difference. You know, when you fast for 55 days and then you break the fast on the day of resurrection, it is really a joyful day, right? It is joyful for our spirits, it's joyful for our bodies, it's joyful in every way, right? And so here this is kind of something that is, uh, reminds us of the, the state of suffering in the world. Sometimes God allows us to go through some suffering for a time, and then when we see him resolve our problem, when we see that the suffering has produced something good in the end, that we rejoice with this exceeding joy. The ninth characteristic of God's promises is that they should motivate us to live in purity. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What should motivate me to love God? What should motivate me to obey His commandments? It should not be fear. It should not be fear. Maybe at the very beginning of someone's spiritual life, what motivates them to follow God's commandment is a fear of hell, let's say. That, that could be for some why they are motivated. But that is not the right motivation. Right? The, the, the right motivation should be a motivation of love. Right? Because we love God that we want to follow Him. We want to be with Him because we love, who, we love Him and we see what He's done for us. We see how much He loves us. And so we love Him and we want to obey Him. And yes, when we sin, we are sad and we mourn over our sins. But at the same time, we know that God is merciful and He showers us with His love, with His kindness. And so we are able to get up again and we continue to follow Him. So our motivation should be the love of God and this motivates us to follow him and to do according to what he has called us for. The last point I want to say is the, the last characteristic of God's promises is that we should wait patiently for their fulfillment. In Hebrews 6.12, it says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We don't know when God's promises will come to pass. You know, from, from even in the New Testament, Christ was speaking about how the second coming was near, right? It was, it was, it was at the doors. It was, it was going to come soon, right? And he kept speaking about that to the point where some people believed that it was going to happen in their lifetime. Okay, but we know that didn't happen, right? What is the, what does it mean for it to be near? What does it mean for God to act quickly, right? It's difficult maybe for us to understand what is quickly for God. What does it mean for God to work quickly, right? So we need to be patient. Right? and wait for God's good timing to fulfill the promises that he has made for us, to answer the prayers that we ask of him.
because there is some benefit in waiting. God sees that there is some benefit. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hear, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't care, but it means that it is good for us to wait. It is good for us to wait for him to answer us. So today we spoke about the promises, just as the promise of Archangel Gabriel that came to St. Mary and promised her that through her the Messiah would be born. God, all throughout the scripture, makes many, many promises to us. We should remember his promises during the difficult times, and we should understand all the important things about his promises. And glory to God forever. Amen.